Welcome back, my spooky friends. Today, we are going to talk about some very creepy things, including a couple of poltergeists, a couple of stories about black-eyed children um, that we found on Reddit. So buckle up. It's going to be a very spooky episode. All right, to start off, I want to go through the definition and what it means for a poltergeist. So a poltergeist is a German word meaning noisy spirit. It describes many effects such as knocks on walls, objects thrown about by unseen hands, furniture moving, and other occurrences. These manifestations were long thought to be the mischievous pranks of spirits, or more frightening, the malevolent works of demons. We'll get into some documented stories that include people calling the police and the police themselves witnessing some of these poltergeists. So without further ado, let's get into one of our listener stories. All right, let's get into one of our listeners' submitted stories called Grandma's House. It starts, here's my poltergeist story. When I was a kid, my younger brother and my cousin, who was his age, all used to spend the night at my grandparents' house. Usually once a month during the school year and all the time every weekend in the summer. My first memory of staying the night there, I remember my grandma told us we could sleep downstairs in the living room. She would lay out some big comfy blankets and we'd stay up late watching TV and playing games. I remember we got a little loud over a game we were playing and grandma came downstairs to tell us to keep quiet and to go to sleep. We tried to argue with her, but she told us it was too late and that we needed to go to bed. So we agree and wait till she falls asleep. And then we continue playing and watching TV. All of a sudden, we hear footsteps coming from the stairs. So obviously, we get silent as we listen to the stairs creak one by one, getting closer. We thought for sure that we were in trouble this time, as Grandma had told us once before to go to sleep. But to our surprise, no one ever came into the living room. So I look around the corner and look up the stairs. No one was there. That spooked me out right there, and I ran back to our blankets to tell my brother and cousin that no one was there. We had always heard from our parents that our grandma's house was haunted, but grandma always assured us that they were joking about it. So now we are convinced her house is haunted. So we lay down and sleep. About an hour goes by, and we hear the cabinets open and shutting loudly. So my first thought is, please let this be Granny getting a late night snack. So me being the oldest and the bravest, obviously, I went to the kitchen to investigate, only to see that all of the cabinets were open. I freaked out, so I run back and tell my cousin and brother. At this point, he had enough, and all of us yelled for her to come downstairs. So she does, and we show her the kitchen. She thought we did it, but we told her no that they were opening on their own. She finally believed us and finally confessed to us that there's a ghost in her house, but 
he or she is a good ghost who wouldn't hurt us. I like to think she's right because I've never been creeped out and no one has ever been physically hurt in her house. And it helps me sleep better at night. Ooh, what a good story. I love these like back in the day at my house kind of stories. It's very cool. So their grandma knew that some creepy stuff happened, but she wasn't about to scare the kids with it, obviously. But yeah, that's the most common thing that people report is footsteps. And then, oh, that is creepy. Imagine you're in the other room and you hear cabinets open and shutting by themselves. <laughs> and you go in there and all the cabinets are open. And there's nobody in there. Freaky, freaky. Thank you for submitting that story. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, without further ado, let's take a short break and get into some documented poltergeist stories. All right, welcome back. I'm going to get into some more definitions and explanations of poltergeist activity. Current research indicates, however, that poltergeist activity may have nothing to do with ghosts or spirits. Since the activity seems to center around an, a specific individual, it is believed that it is caused by the subconscious mind of the individual. It is, in effect, psychokinetic activity, moving objects solely by the power of the mind. The individual is often under emotional, psychological, and physical stress. What are poltergeist effects? Poltergeist effects can include wrappings on the walls and floors, the physical movement of objects, effects on lights and other electric appliances. There can even be the manifestation of physical phenomena, such as water dripping inexplicably from ceilings where no pipes are hidden and small fires breaking out. Thanks largely to the work of parapsychologist William G. Roll in the 1950s and 60s, they are now commonly understood to be psychokinetic manifestations produced by living persons. It's really interesting. I'd never heard that before. That's probably something I'm definitely going to go fact check <laughs> to see if that's actually something that can happen. I've never heard of that. Psychokinetic manifestations produced by living persons. That's cool. It's like a, like a Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's weird. All right, I'm going to read some more of this research. All right. Roll called it recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, or RSPK, and found that paranormal activity could almost always be traced to a specific person, clinically labeled as the agent. This agent although a victim of the puzzling and sometimes frightening activity, is unaware that he or she is actually the cause of it. By some mechanism that is not still understood, the activity arises out of the unconscious or subconscious of the individual in response to emotional stress or trauma. So little is really known about the human brain and mind, but somehow the psychological stresses suffered by this agent produce effects in the surrounding physical world. Pounding on the walls of a house, 
a book flying off the shelf, glowing orbs zipping across a room, heavy furniture sliding across the floor, perhaps even audible voices. In some rare cases, the manifestations can turn violent, producing scratches on the skin, shoves, and slaps. So powerful is the unconscious mind under stress. One possible and famous historical case is that of the Bell Witch that we've already discussed from the early 19th century. This was a case of severe poltergeist phenomena that centered around the young Betsy Bell. The activity then attributed to a witch threw things around young Betsy Bell, around the Bell home, moved furniture, and pinched and slapped the children, according to eyewitnesses. Betsy Bell appears to have been the agent in this instance. So you might be asking yourself, how common are poltergeists? Poltergeist agents are often adolescents, but not always. It seems true that some adolescents under the combined stresses of growing up and hormonal changes occurring during puberty can produce poltergeist activity, but adults under stress can be agents as well, especially perhaps if they have unresolved stresses from childhood. It is unknown how common poltergeist activity is. Certainly remarkable cases in which household objects are tossed about are relatively rare, but those are the cases that get attention and are documented simply because they are remarkable. Especially if the activity persists over many days, weeks, months. There may be many more cases, however, that occur just one or on a rare occasions to people. There is ample documentation that poltergeist activity does take place in various levels of severity and for various lengths of time. Many cases have been documented by such researchers as Hans Holzer, Brad Steiger, and others. Their books are available in libraries and bookstores. Alright, so that's just a little backstory on Poltergeist itself. Uh, the, the author of this article was kind of coming at it from a perspective of it being caused by a person rather than it being paranormal. Um, while I do tend to like scientific um, explanations. It almost sounds a little too science fiction-y for me. Um, it's more believable for me that it would be paranormal, but show me some research, you know, on that psychokinetic thing that it can actually happen without somebody being like, you know, a mutant like Jean Grey or something, moving stuff with their mind. Um, and I might be willing to believe it. <laughs> All right, let's take a short break and then we'll get into some actual stories. All right, welcome back. This comes to us from The Sun, UK News. The title is House of Horror. I never believed in the Enfield poltergeist until I heard strange scraping on the floorboards and recorded the ghost's demonic voice. Roz Morris was one of the first reporters to look into the case of the Enfield poltergeist, and 40 years later, she's still baffled by it. Mama 4, Peggy Hodge, 
Hodgson had just put her daughter Janet to bed when she heard loud scraping sounds coming from the room the 11-year-old shared with her brother Johnny. The single mom ran upstairs to see what the kids were up to, but was stunned when she opened the door to see a heavy wooden dresser sliding unaided across the room as the children watched aghast from their beds. Peggy pushed the chest back into place, but it moved again as soon as she let go. The sounds of someone or something knocking frantically against the wall reverberated around the council house. Terrified and confused, she gathered 10-year-old Johnny, Janet, and her other kids, 14-year-old Margaret, and 7-year-old Billy, and fetched her neighbor for a second opinion. Later that night, on August 31st, 1977, the police were called to this address in London, where the first officer on the scene reported that she too had seen the furniture dancing around the room, as if carried by a ghost. It was a proper paranormal mystery. The next day, the story was in the papers and the legend of the Enfield poltergeist was born. Between the years of 1977 and 1979, the house remained the scene of strange going-on, centered around the sisters, Janet and Margaret. Eerie banging sounds could be heard throughout the house, chairs tipped over without warning, and a deep demonic voice started coming from Janet without any sign of the girl opening her mouth. Just before I died, I went blind. The gravelly, threatening voice started out in one particularly distressing outburst from Janet's direction, although her lips never moved. And then I had a hemorrhage, and I fell asleep and died in the chair in the corner downstairs. Reporters went on to capture the voice on tape, recording it, telling interviewers to shut up, singing nursery rhymes as well as alluding to a past life in the house. Roz Morris, then a reporter for BBC Radio, was among many investigators dispatched to look into the reports of otherworldly horrors, and she would never forget what she uncovered. The journalist entered the house a skeptic, like many people who suspected that the story had been exaggerated or that the weirdness was the result of children playing an elaborate prank on their mother but Roz left insistent that the case of the Enfield poltergeist was more than a con or childish tricks. She even returned to record the husky voice which followed Janet around for a BBC documentary on the haunting. Now reflecting on the story 40 years later, reporter Roz told Sun Online, I recorded the voices and a thumping knocking noise on the walls. There was this very strange voice coming from near Janet. She wasn't moving her lips, but the voice would just appear, talking for hours. The voice would say a lot of childish stuff and swearing a lot. It was very disturbing. Something strange was happening that was not normal. Things only got weirder when Janet started having violent trances and claims soon spread that the 11-year-old could levitate supposedly hoisted into the air by mischievous energy. There's a famous photo of Janet hovering in the middle of her bedroom 
it was soon published as evidence uh, taken remotely by camera set up in the room uh, by Graham Morris. The spooked photographer said he knew something was up when he first opened the door to the place in Enfield to the barrage of marbles and Lego bricks, which he says were hurled at him by the same spirit that tormented Janet. Now what he had is what many believe as photographic evidence. Many skeptics look at the photographs and possibly think she could have jumped off of her bed and got caught midair. So a skeptic say. All right. The snaps were stacked in a file bulging with over 2,000 separate reports of paranormal activity at the Enfield home, supplied by over 30 eyewitnesses to the unusual going on. All right. If you're still with me, we're going to be interviewing a poltergeist. The story of the Enfield poltergeist has has stuck with Roz ever since she appeared this week on a BBC Radio 4 show, The Reunion, to look back at the case. Photographer Graham appears on the show as well, having also experienced the, strain the strangeness of the whole saga firsthand. He says, I stood in the gloom in the kitchen, and one by one they brought the children into the adults' arms, and the last one to come in was Janet. Suddenly, things just took off and started flying around the room. Everyone wanted to see it. They came in skeptics and left believing they had definitely seen something. But it all centered around Janet. In the following months, things got even more sinister. Janet claimed that she was being used by the poltergeist while the strange bangs and knocking sounds persisted. And then came the interview. Maurice Gross, a former inventor and leading paranormal investigator of that time. Oops, lost my place. Had based himself at the house and was joined in the investigation by poltergeist expert Guy Playfair, who sadly passed away at the, at the weekend. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Sadly passed away at the weekend. What a weird way to say that. Anyway, while they were at the home, the researchers reported a series of curious whistling, barking noises coming from Janet's general direction, which were attributed to this mysterious spirit. And so it was decided that the TV cameras should be fired up for a, for a world's first a recorded interview with a poltergeist. When Gross tried to pin down who would be behind the hauntings which were gripping the nation, was it a prank or was it paranormal? The investigator did his research and tried to narrow down details about the ghost based on its responses to his questioning. He eventually deduced that the spirit must belong to 72-year-old Bill Wilkins, a man who had lived and died at the house decades earlier. Meanwhile, for Janet, being used as a conduit for a long dead man seemed like it was taking its toll. 
Her trances became more violent. Her mother allegedly once had to intervene when during one disturbing episode, Janet wrapped herself in a curtain. The fabric tangled around her throat. The independent reports of strange going on blew the story into national sensation, and the Enfield poltergeist has since been dramatized in this TV series, uh, The Enfield Haunting, and films like The Conjuring 2. But many skeptics have insisted right from the beginning that, like the exaggerated Hollywood retellings of the story, the case of the Enfield poltergeist is nothing more than fiction. At the time, a theory emerged that the mom, Peggy, was behind the whole thing as part of a ploy to get a better council house, or in return for fame and money. But she never made a penny from recounting the stories to reporters, and she never moved out of that house right up to her death in 2003. The idea was also floated by skeptics that Janet might be a ventriloquist and could have been behind the demonic voices heard by reporters. Others suggested that the most famous photo of Janet hovering above the ground in her bedroom showed nothing more sinister than a girl bouncing on her bed, triggered the motion camera that had been set up in her room. The skeptic's case was reinforced when the girls admitted to pranking some investigators by hiding their tape players and making odd noises as they poked around the family house. But Janet, now in her 50s, maintains that every other detail of the haunting, from the demonic voice to her sporadic levitation, was totally genuine. And today, the house where the hauntings took place is owned by another family, although it remains the site of intense speculation about what really happened 40 years ago. Roz, now the managing director of TV News London, a media training company, says, I was also skeptical at first and looking out for the trickery, but there were a lot of independent witnesses, and it was the report of the policewoman which really stood up. I was a reporter for many years, and it was by far the weirdest story I've ever reported on. There was definitely something unusual going on, and I honestly don't know what caused it. Oof, creepy. So, that was the story of the Enfield poltergeist. Whew. All right, let's dissect this for a second. So... The mom claims that she goes in the room and the furniture is being tossed around by itself. That would definitely quantify as like a, you know, a haunting or something scary. So I'm wondering how it relates to what some would call psychokinetic, like possibly saying Janet might be moving it with her mind. What do you guys think? I would probably attribute it more to the supernatural, <laughs> probably because that's where my brain defaults uh, for things I cannot explain. But yeah, that is weird right there. And the fact that the police that came reported the same things, the police themselves in their official reports are saying that they saw the furniture being tossed around like 
as if ghosts had it. <laughs> I mean, think about yourself. I mean, taken seriously <laughs> as a cop. And, like, you're having to report this stuff that you cannot explain, but you have to tell the truth on what happened. So in an official report, you're having to put, you know, that you saw furniture being tossed about as if by being carried by ghosts. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I like that stuff like this has documentation. All right. We'll take a short break. All right. Welcome back. This next story is brought to you by The Spectator. It's called A Haunting of Alma Felding, A True Ghost Story. Its author is Kate Somersville. There are fashions in the paranormal as in everything else. Since the famous Enfield hauntings of the late 1970s, poltergeists seem to have gone quiet or at least unreported. But before then, they were everywhere. In 1938, poltergeist kicked off in Thornton Health in Surrey. A Jewish-Hungarian journalist and psychic investigator, Nan Nandor Fodor, <laughs> was alerted to strange happenings in the home of a 34-year-old housewife there. I don't know why it was so hard to get through that sentence. <laughs> in 1938, Poltergeist kicked off in Thornton Health, Surrey, and a Jewish-Hungarian journalist and psychic investigator, Nandor Fodor, was alerted to strange happenings in the home of a 34-year-old housewife there. I think it's his name, Nandor Fodor. It's throwing me off. Man. The list of happenings is familiar in all poltergeist stories. Furniture moves, light fitting shatter, crockery, money, knickknacks, even small pictures are thrown through the air, sometimes seemingly aimed directly at individuals. Alma Felding and her husband Les were ill at the time the hauntings began. She with a kidney infection and he with a hemorrhaging after a tooth extraction both with really high temperatures. But when they recovered, the poltergeist did not depart. Neighbors got wind and hung outside, hung about outside, so inevitably the press was alerted to. And the Sunday pictorial noted for all the popular shock horror stories sent the reporters down. As Miss Felding opened the door to them, they saw an egg fly down the corridor to land a few feet, a few yards from their feet. As she led them to the kitchen, a pink china dog rattled to the floor and a sharp bladed tin opener cut through the air. Sounds like a lot of dangerous objects being thrown around. <sighs> the pictorial subsequent headline was, this is the most extraordinary front page story we have ever printed. Fodor was desperate to visit the house and to witness something, anything, as proof of the paranormal. He was a serious psychic researcher trying to be open-minded, and he was gullible, as they all are. 
he befriended and spent a lot of time with Alma, witnessing numerous and inexplicable incidents. The history of spiritualism has always been rife with fraud and trickery, but although Fodor, <laughs> his name, but although Fodor was longing for evidence, he was not a bad man and he was involved with Alma in other forms of psychic activity. Ooh. He introduced her to the International Institute for Psychic Research, which gathered around it rich, lonely society women and cranks, as well as the deranged and downright dishonest. Alma performed at seances, went to trances, spoke in the voice of a male spirit guide, Objects appeared, combs, scent bottles, fresh flowers, and volunteer members watched her closely for any trickery. Once or twice, their suspicions were aroused, but they saw nothing untoward and believed she was genuine. When Fodor got to know her better, one or two scales fell from his eyes, but at first not the full set. Alma was gradually revealed as a neurotic with hidden terrors and deeply repressed past experiences. She had appalling nightmares, claimed that demons attacked and seduced her in her sleep, and was prone to outbursts of rage and wild incoherence. Yet Fodor <laughs> and the others believed the powers she summoned to life were real and their activities not faked. As Alma gained confidence in showing off to her audiences, however, her guard slipped, and she was caught out hiding objects about her person to deceive even when those who had searched her in advance. Oh, so she was caught. Still a little fraud when she was determined to impress surely did not invalidate all of her experiences over the long period of time, especially the poltergeist activity in her home, or did it? Some things could be done by trickery, but not the moving of heavy furniture, witnessed by several people. The pulling of near-invisible thread could topple a vase from the shelf, but it could not move a mahogany chest of drawers. The story is familiar to anyone who has gone very far in the annals of psychic research. <laughs> I think it's annals of psychic research. Everyone wanted to believe, just as the grieving wives and mothers, that this was real. Everyone wanted to believe, grieving wives and mothers of young men killed in the Great War consulted mediums obsessively in an effort to make contact with their beloved dead. People see what they want to see. This is not really a story of the supernatural. It never is. It is one about profoundly disturbed woman who had suffered a terrible abuse in her past and repressed her violent emotions deeply. She needed expert psychiatric help, but this was unavailable through Fodor, though Fodor did consult Sigmund Freud, who had no doubt about her mental and psychological state. Apart from revealing, apart from the revealing of Alma Felding's past and the explanation of her condition, 
This is largely a story of gullibility. The lore of vaguely exotic into bored and lonely lives. It is sad, pathetic, but not really frightening. Felding's past and its explanation of her condition, this is largely a story, like we said, of gullibility. The tale of the Enfeld poltergeist made an excellent television series with the creepy actor Timothy Sprawl brilliantly cast as the chief investigator and Alma Felding's story is perfectly set up to make one similar. Kate Summerscale gives the best clue on how she sees it all in her quotation from Agatha Christie at the beginning of part one nowadays. We find that nearly everything comes from within, from our subconscious self. So that is the story of Alma. So what do you believe? She was caught hiding items later on, but there towards the beginning, you know, she kind of believed it to be true. Seems like, you know, Fodor fully believed her. And it wasn't until after some of that came to light and everything that he started to see, like, oh, okay, she, maybe she just needs help. So in some of these instances, even though, like, this one started off poltergeisty and then got more into, like, the you're doing it on purpose with her doing, like, shows and seances and stuff like that. Um, I think that right there is where we can kind of draw a line is whenever you're doing it for show versus whenever it's just happening to you. Um, I think that's where we can draw a very clear line <laughs> with this specific case of Alma. Um the stuff like when it, that was happening at their home, they can't control that. But playing upon that due to their traumatic past, um, those psychic agencies were filled with fraught and filled with people that preyed on these kind of women. So that's kind of scary for that time. Um, but like like the article was saying, they had just heard about you know the television series about the Enfield poltergeist. It was really popular at that time. Um, so they're going off of that and they're trying to make like a, almost like a series two, if you will, off of Alma's story, even though it wasn't the same at all. <sighs> oh, well, I'll leave that for you guys to decide. Um, I think she was preyed upon by that psychic society even people with well intentions and even some that might have gifts, you know, if they're preyed upon by people that are just trying to make money, you know, it kind of, I guess back in the day, whenever you didn't have like stuff like logical scientific reasoning at the, you know, at your fingertips, like we do with Google, um, it was easier to say like, oh, that was a ghost or, you know, that was something we can't explain. But like, I don't know. This just seems like they kind of preyed on her.
So that one's kind of just sad. What do you guys think? Let me know about in the Facebook. All right, welcome back. Our next story comes from liveabout.com by Stephen Wagner. It was updated January 11, 2019. Chairs moved about by themselves. Walls shake from loud, unexplained banging. Water drips from a ceiling. Hairbrushes disappear for days, only to reappear in their place on the dresser. These are some of the classic symptoms of a poltergeist haunting. From the German for noisy ghost, a poltergeist refers to phenomena usually credited with mischievous spirits or ghosts and are characterized by psychokinesis and other physical manifestations. Although ghosts may sometimes be involved, most poltergeist incidents are kind of a psychic phenomena, usually centered around a living agent as we heard about earlier. Cases have been cited almost since the beginning of recorded history. Three famous cases have taken place in the 20th century, gaining notoriety, perhaps because they have been extensively investigated, reported, and in some cases even photographed and videotaped. Most of the hype was around the 1970s, so it's no wonder that Steven Spielberg would pick it up in his, you know, movie, The Poltergeist, scaring lots of kids and families ever since. All right, let's see. The Thornton Health Poltergeist. In the 1970s in Thornton Health, England, Yeah, it's actually called Thornton Health, England. A family was tormented by a poltergeist phenomena that started one August night when they were awoken in the middle of the night by a blaring bedside radio that somehow turned on itself on, tuned to a foreign language station. This was the beginning of the middle of the night blaring that would continue for several Let's see, the events lasted for nearly four years. Wow. I would not be able to stand that with it just coming to life and blaring. <laughs> nope. Even if it was in a foreign language. No, thank you. A lampshade repeatedly was knocked to the floor by unaided hands. During the Christmas season of 1972, an ornament was hurled across the room, smashing into the husband's forehead as he flopped into an armchair reports haunted Croydon the Christmas tree began to shake violently come the new year and there were footsteps in the bedroom when there was no one there and one night the couple's son awoke to find a man in old-fashioned dress staring threateningly at him the family's fear slowly grew when, as they entertained friends one night, there was a, large, a loud knocking at the front door. The living room door was then flung open, and all of the house's lights came on at once. 
having the house blessed failed to rid the house of this phenomena. Objects flew through the air, loud noises were heard, and the family would sometimes hear a noise that would suggest to some large pieces of furniture had crashed to the floor. When they went to investigate, nothing in the room would have been disturbed. A medium who was consulted told the family that the house was haunted by a farmer of the name Chatterton, who is considered the family's who considered all of the family's trespassers on his property. An investigation bore out the fact that Chatterton was indeed had lived in the house in the mid-18th century. Chatterton's wife now joined in the causing mayhem, <laughs> and often the tenant's wife would be followed up the stairs at night by an elderly gray-haired woman. Creepy. Wearing a pinafore and her hair tied back in a bun. If looked at, she would disappear behind back into the shadows. The family even reported seeing the farmer appear on their television screens, wearing a black jacket with wide pointed lapels, high neck shirt, and black cravat. After the family moved out of the house, the poltergeist activity ceased, and none have been reported by subsequent residents. All right. So that's a case of them seeing a farmer. Then, of course, there's the infield poltergeist in this article. <sighs> Same thing we've already talked about is centering around Janet. Shuffling noises and knocks to the wall were followed by a heavy chest of drawers sliding by itself across the floor. They called the police who heard the knocks. One officer even saw a chair inexplicably move across the room and later signed a written statement to confirm the events. Several people were witnessed were witness to the events that occurred in the following days. Lego bricks, marbles, etc. Look at this. So it looks like a lot of stuff is, you know, you're basically knocking on the walls, furniture being thrown kind of things. Water was found in mysterious puddles on the floor. And there were outbreaks of fire, followed by their inexplicable extinguishing. Ooh, I don't think I would like that kind of poltergeist. Um, it's one thing to make sounds, it's another to create a hazard, such as a fire, even if you're also extinguishing that fire. Still scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, in all of these cases, it's like all centered around like a juvenile or like a person. And I know this is the 70s, so again, you know how the 70s were, like... There was a lot less protection. We weren't always looking out for what was best for kids. So is this a real poltergeist? Or, you know, is this just these people in really awful situations? 
you know? Um, and maybe some of their parents should have been like, instead of feeding into it, should have been like, you know, this is your imagination kind of thing. But yeah, on the opposite end, I mean, it was give, getting them a lot of fame and stuff like that, but I don't know, there wouldn't be like any kind of monetary value to be faking it, I guess, because they never, never made a cent off of their story. Um, and as I've already mentioned, they never ended up moving. So let's see. All right. There's one more poltergeist case. I want to get away from the one uh, that was about Janet and like, she's the one that had all of the photographic evidence of like her levitating above her bed. But I mean, in nowadays with like smartphones and everything and what we know as creators we can make, um, I don't know. It's not as convincing as it would have been in the 70s of like, look at this girl levitating and she looks freaked out. <laughs> but to us that, you know, can like instantly take a picture or delete a picture if we don't like it, um, it kind of looks like, you know, hey, jump off of your bed and don't hit the floor until the very last second so I can take your picture while you're in the air. You know, like, <laughs> looking at these pictures, it's not concrete evidence like it was in the 70s. Like, in the 70s, it was like, look at this girl levitating. Look, everyone looks scared. <laughs> but really, I mean, she could have made it that far in the air by jumping off of her bed. I mean, being realistic, looking at that photograph, it's not the evidence that they thought it was. I could definitely recreate it, you know, by jumping off of one of my beds and timing a camera just right. <laughs> so, it, yeah, I, I don't know what to say much more about that. There is another Poltergeist uh, story on the same article, liveabout.com. It's called the Danny Poltergeist case. In 1998, Jane Fishman, a reporter with the Savannah Morning News, began a series of articles about possibly haunted antique, about a possibly haunted antique bed in the home of Al Cobb of Savannah, Georgia. Cobb bought the vintage late 1800s bed at an auction as a Christmas present for his 14-year-old son, Jason a purchase for which he later regretted, I'm sure. All right. Three nights later, Fishman reported, Jason told his parents he felt as if someone had planted elbows on his pillow and was watching him and breathing cold air down the back of his neck. He felt sick. The next night, he noticed that the photo of his deceased grandparents on his wicker nightstand flipped down, so he righted it, and the next day, the photo was face down again. Later that morning, after leaving his room for breakfast, he returned and found in the middle of his bed two beanie babies, a zebra and the tiger, next to a conch shell. <laughs> a dinosaur made of shells and plaster and a plaster toucan bird. Wow. 
that got that got him and his twin brother's attention. Trying to make sense of that offering. Um, <laughs> Al called out, do we have a Casper here? Tell me your name and how old you are. Then he left some lines, or he left some lined composition paper and crayons and with his family walked out of the room. In 15 minutes, they returned and found written vertically in large block childlike letters, Danny, age 7. With his family out of the house, Al Cobb decided to continue trying to communicate with the spirit of Danny. With the same kind of notes, Danny indicated that his mother had died in that bed in 1899, and he wanted to stay with the bed. He also made it clear that he didn't want anyone else sleeping in it. The same day they found a note reading, No one sleep in bed, Jason, who had moved out of the room, decided to stretch out and pretend to take a nap. What? I doubled back into the room to pick up my clothes, remembered Jason, when this terracotta head that had been hanging on the wall came flying through the room, just missing me before it smashed into the closet door. Hmm. No one really knows, Fishman writes in her second installment, who or what is leaving the copious notes, moving the furniture, opening kitchen drawers, setting the dining room table, flipping over the chairs, lighting the candles, arranging the posters to spell out the person's name, Jill, then hanging the finished product on a bedroom wall. Jason also spoke that other spirits, Uncle Sam, who had come to reclaim his daughter, he said he was buried under the house. Gracie, a young girl whose sculpture sits in the Bonaventure Cemetery, and Jill, a young woman who left a number of handwritten messages, <laughs> among them one inviting the Cobbs to a party in their living room. This sounds like a bunch of people. They are just throwing things together. Parapsychologist Andrew Nichols, head of the Florida Society of Parapsychological Research, investigated the case. What happened at the Cobbs, he told Fishman, more specifically to Jason, would have happened without Danny or the bed. It was the electromagnetic, electromagnetic energy of the wall that Jason started sleeping next to when they moved the bed there. That charged a psychic ability that the boy already had. Huh. Well, I mean, we do know from, you know, watching Ghost Hunters and stuff like that, that there is stuff to do with electromagnetics. Um, certain uneasiness is caused by faulty electric work, stuff like that. Like, I always felt uneasy in that section of the house, and then they dig under the house and they find out, like, all these exposed wires was creating all of this like low-grade radiation 
<laughs> and stuff like that. So, like, there's usually a good explanation for it. But they're saying in this case, with the bed, what do you believe? Because it's basically, you know, Danny didn't want anybody sleeping in that bed. And so he's leaving little handwritten notes around the room and throwing things at Jason when Jason would try to go to bed. <laughs> or, you know, is it all to do with Jason as the subject or the agent, like we've been saying? Like, is it his psychic prowess causing this stuff? Or is it happening to him as an observer? Weird 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 so that's really up for the listener to decide on what you believe because there are two schools of thought on this um as already mentioned they're the ones that explain it by being psychokinetic activity that follows individuals under emotional psychological or physical stress so that sounds all well and scientific. And then there's the ones where furniture just moving around the room and voice voices are coming through the walls kind of thing. Weird, weird. No matter how you look at it, it's weird. All right, let's uh, take a short break and then we'll get right back at it. All right, welcome back. So with all of our stories that we tell here on my podcast, I always invite the listener to decide what you believe, whether you think something was paranormal or has a logical explanation. Um, in many of these cases, especially the ones that are listener-supported or listener-submitted, um, I take those as face value. Like if one of my listeners submitted it, I'm going to call me gullible, but... I'm going to go with it being true. <laughs> and they've been pretty good so far. Um, and it seems pretty cool how a lot of your shared experiences are shared. It's not just one person seeing the shadow person or one person's basement doing this weird thing. Or one person's electronic without batteries doing this one thing. It's like collectively these stories are really cool coming together. Um, so make sure you're still taking the time to write them out, send them my way. Um, if you're a part of our Facebook group, uh, Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shizzes and Parentheses, um, everybody that's a part of that group is kind of open to that. So if you want to, you know, shout it from the rooftops what's happened to you, you know, feel free to post it there, um, you know. Everybody in this group, because it's a closed group, so you should be pretty free from trolling. <laughs> if uh, that becomes an issue, I guess I'll have to make some moderators or something. But it hasn't been an issue so far, so feel free to post. Um, and yeah, I don't want to take away from the seriousness that comes along with, you know, the poltergeist phenomena. Um, I mean, you know, this is documented by officers of the law, you know, that's pretty legit. 
but also it's reported by, you know, people's family and, you know, pastors where they're praying so hard, all the windows blow out of the church and just different stories like that that are passed down generation to generation. <sighs> scary, scary stuff. So it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter if it's electromagnetic or paranormal or where you do land on this phenomena. The fact that it's being recorded and it is taking place is kind of in and of itself an answer right there. Um, is a kind of cool thing psychokinetic i know there's no such thing as mutants but you know someone moving stuff with their mind it's definitely a cool thing to study um the only bad thing about that and the caveat between these stories seems to be that the person under scrutiny has to be in a lot of emotional stress have a lot of trauma in their past childhoods etc like that and on and on we see and again this was the 1970s so that's when it became popular these stories have been around forever but i don't know it could have just been more psychic groups targeting you know but i digress <laughs> regardless of what their motivations might be or if this is legitimate psychic phenomena let me know what you guys think about it my listeners uh let me know on the facebook page and keep sending me your stories i'm loving them all right guys this is gonna be it for this episode i hope you enjoyed it it was a little all over the place um but i kind of like where we ended all right so I will see you guys next week. And I guess we'll talk about some black-eyed children then. Yeah. Scary stuff. Stay spooky.